Hello and welcome to ScottCast, the super colorful original telecommunication transmission otherwise known as ScottCast. I'm here again with Ian Dixon on this Friday, one week exactly from the last ScottCast we've done. How about that regularity? That's exciting. Not only the, It's not only about a week's later, it is exactly a week later. We're on the same weekday even. Does it count as consistency if it's only two in a row? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Previously, my standard was one in a row. I was very consistent, but it didn't produce great results. So, oh, Kyle's hey, trying Kyle. to join in. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Kyle's such an annoying freaking house guest sometimes. Wow. He has food, by the way. He has water. His letter's okay. Well, I could probably change his letter at this point. But... Point is, he's mostly complaining, audience. <laughs> he doesn't have your complete attention right now. No, he does not. And he doesn't get it. He was he was silent all day until the moment we pressed record. And now we're about a minute and a half into ScottCast. And it's been 90% Kyle. Well, at least he's not putting his butthole between you and the mic here. Yeah, he tends to do that. He tends to do that. So, speaking of that, I'd, I'd like to have a turn a serious note. We're, we're podcasting, Ian, and we wouldn't be podcasting if it wasn't for this one particular... If it wasn't for this one particular person who has recently had a health scare, a heart attack. Kevin Smith, over the week, had a heart attack trying to do stand-up. And he's doing fine now. He seems to be doing good. He keeps posting on Facebook and Instagram and all that. He seems to be doing good and appreciating life and all. But I, I thought it would be only appropriate to extend well wishes through a podcast to Kevin Smith, even if this particular podcast only gets four listeners. <laughs> four or eight. No, about six, maybe. You know... The stats are a little fuzzy at this point, but it's definitely under 10. <laughs> Maybe gotten up to one one handful. About a handful of listeners. And so, with that in mind, I look at Kevin Smith, I look at his career, I look at his podcasting. He's the king of podcasts. And I wonder, Ian, what we can do as podcasters to become the king of podcasts. Because, you know, Kevin Smith... Uh, he definitely needs to take a break for a while. He needs to yeah. rest. He needs to get his health in order. And while he's doing that, I figured we could step in and fill the void a little bit while he's doing that, you know? We, the, we're, you know, fulfilling our podcaster duties <laughs> in a way. You know, because ScottCast historically has been a I don't care about the numbers podcast mm -hmm. as reflected in the numbers. True. And... Uh, Maybe that's not the best route. Maybe we should be focusing more on the numbers and less on things like how we feel. We should be more cold about our programming. Well, yeah, so what's, what, what are you suggesting? That we, uh, we kind of sell out? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that we sell out and we focus on making Scott Cast the goat of podcasting. Okay. Where Tom Brady has his own podcast... No, he doesn't have a podcast. He has a football career. Yeah. And he's the goat of that. 
and we're gonna be the goat. We're gonna be the Tom Brady's of podcasting. Okay. Yeah. You know, he was like he's like a forty-something-year-old quarterback or something like that. Everyone calls him Sir. <laughs> That's gonna be us. We're gonna be forty or something. People are gonna be like, "Oh, Sir, <laughs> I heard you have a podcast." All right. So, so how do how do you suggest we we reach that plateau? Well. First off, we got to cut Kyle out of this podcast. <laughs> That's the first step. Second step is we need a renewed focus mm. on our content. What are we producing? We got to create the most. We got to we got to create stuff that really makes people, you know, want to get up and, and like talk about. Oh, I just listened to this amazing podcast called Scottcast. You should do it too. And then they take the phone away from their friend and install not only a podcast app but the latest five episodes of our podcast and continue to do so to everybody that know that is the only way i know we can grow from this point okay so interesting amazing kind of content things that things that will appeal to a wide group of listeners so kevin smith happened upon the the fortunate circumstances of having a successful film career before he had his little podcast thing yeah yeah, uh, so so we need we need to bootstrap <laughs> ourselves. Either that, or we need to, we need to create a successful film career first. Okay, uh, I don't know which one's harder. Yeah, so building upon prior success is not an option at this point, given our non-existent prior success. Yeah, yeah, we don't have any successes <laughs> under our belt to speak of. So, what appeals to people? How do we uh, how do we draw those listeners in? What are the, the <laughs> topics or the angles we need to to come at it from I'm glad you asked here's here's what's here's the skidding what we have to do is we have to snap their attention right something outlandish something that is completely out of the ordinary Mm -hmm. for everyone's world or their particular world first off we gotta stop thinking of our listeners as a homogenous group of people we gotta treat them like they're just an individual sitting right there across the table from us. Hello, good sir. Thank you for listening to us talk. I guess it's a little awkward. I don't know why he's sitting there. But we so gotta have a personal on, connection. We're going very targeted. We're not doing the wide net thing. Well, we're doing a very wide net because we're not gonna pay attention to anything this person's about. So that's wide net. But we're gonna pretend it's just one person there. And that we're responsible for his entertainment. Or hers. Either or. And we're going to entertain this person. You know what this person wants? This person wants what everybody wants. This person wants something that's real. Something that's raw. And something that's esoteric. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to... Everything we do is going to be real, raw, and esoteric. That's going to be our motto. I think that's kind of the, the... the way I live my life. Yeah, that's why you're the perfect. <laughs> this is the perfect team for this Scottcast. New mono, real, raw, and esoteric. Okay, so where do we start? Okay, we start with a hypothetical situation. Something that won't only get us thinking, but it'll get our listener. Notice the plurality. Thinking. Imagine for yourself that you, it's a beautiful fall day, crisp air, mm. you're walking through the park, 
and you're in a wooded area. The leaves are falling down. It's a cool, temperate kind of feeling. And you're having a good time. You're about three miles in, but you feel like you got all the energy in the world. Nothing can go wrong for you at this point. You happen upon a black suitcase tucked in the ferns, tucked in the bushes. And you open it up. It's not a very secure suitcase. And lo and behold, there's a million dollars, give or take, stacked in it with a note stained in blood and a single word, don't. What do you do? Do you take it home with you or do you leave it where it is? Or possibly some other situation, some group C. I think it's pretty clear that uh, that you should don't. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's so clear that you should don't? <laughs> it says it on the note, and there's blood on it. Yeah, but it's a million dollars, and if someone's going to tell me not to do something, and it has to convince me to make a million-dollar decision, you mm-hmm. better use more than one word. That's not a convincing message to me. That doesn't tell me, give me well, enough reasons why I don't. It seems like that came from somewhere that you maybe would prefer not to know about. I The only thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't touch the blood part of the note. <laughs> you know, because it, it, be it could be some weird thing where a guy's videotaping it and he's going to chase you down afterwards. Mm-hmm. Or it could just be some hapless millionaire who has a nosebleed and who doesn't know how to keep his money somehow. Like, maybe he used to be a billionaire, and now he's only a millionaire, and he only has a million left, and he's living, and he's living in a park. And he's like, ah, I'm getting too tired of people stealing my money. I've got this nosebleed, and oh, I'm just going to tell people not, don't! And he's slipping in there, and you go, you know, do, do your rounds as a hapless, fallen from the graces billionaire to millionaire. That sounds like the least likely scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is just as likely as any other scenario. I think this scenario started off unlikely. So to be like, okay, of the, what's the norm here? The norm is time away with. So okay, now you got to look at it. What's the best decision for me? Mm-hmm. If I take the money, I'm I'm taking a risk, as well as the money. So you're a million dollars richer, but you have to couple it with the possible risk that you're going to be murdered in cold blood. True. What can you do with a million dollars that'll help you not get murdered in cold blood? Hire a bodyguard, hire a private investigator, get a gun or some other self-defense weapon, a taser, if you will. Mm-hmm. When I was in middle school, uh, the, the, I had a friend named Tom, and he got the most interesting little catalog in the mail. And it had all sorts of stuff in it, but notable in it were, was this gun that looked just like a gun, but it shot knockout darts. This is a middle school kid. <laughs> this is a middle school child, and he's got this, and he's got the means to purchase these kind of things. And I guess we all do what with the internet now these days. I suppose so. But I just didn't even think that that was a thing that you could just buy. Yeah. But, you know, you have a million dollars, you can buy that. And so... Let's say you spend a hundred grand on self-preservation immediately. Mm-hmm. That means 
you're $900,000 richer. And the only thing that the person was safeguarding that suitcase against it was a mild warning of don't. I say take the suitcase. I guess I'm I'm a little more risk averse as compared to spend to a quarter of a million dollars in self-preservation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Some something about it. It's just What do you uh, think it's paranormal or something? Well, I mean, is it is it worth the money to have to worry about it? Well, you wouldn't worry about it after you spend a quarter of a million dollars getting rid of that worry. Wouldn't you? I mean, you have no idea where this money came from. You have no idea what that blood is about. I could get it tested. It's a DNA analysis. Yeah. Okay, so now we're down $300,000. <laughs> I can make a clone of the person that we're talking about. So once you spend all this money on testing out of the, the suitcase, this money that's not yours that you're spending on this, uh-huh. what if you find that... Oh, this is this was actually someone who got murdered, and this money is like evidence. Well, that's the cops' problem. I'll tell them all that they need to know. I mean, it's not like I take take it from an evidence locker. You know, True. I'm just part of the story at this point. You picked up this very suspicious uh, suitcase and spent some of the money from it. That is, you're kind of linked to this crime now. Hmm. I want to. I want to. S- I, I think mm. <laughs> another hundred thousand dollars for the best criminal attorney. <laughs> okay, so we're a half a million. We got a half a million dollars so you're, to work. You're with. just gonna be like, you're gonna tell the cops that there was what a different amount the, in there. Like, what would you do with half you a million dollars? That? The lawyer like, handle those questions. Boring shit like paying off loans and buying a house and normal normal stuff. I would buy a motorcycle. Yeah. You know, I would buy a motorcycle if I had $5,000. If I had $500,000, I might buy 500 motorcycles. No, that would be excessive. I only need one. It's true. Yeah. So, I think I think we've come to a conclusion on this topic. You should definitely pick up the suitcase and don't heed any warnings that Ian said. <laughs> As the official take. That's the raw. That's the real. I forget what the third one was. Esoteric. Oh, an esoteric. That's the raw, real, esoteric answer to our new segment. What if? Which brings me to our next topic. Uh, somehow. <laughs> we went, this, just this week, we went to see The Great Satan. Right? Mm. That was fantastic. It was a fantastic little show they did in Planet Ant in Hamtramck. Speaking of questionable situations, yes. 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 <laughs> Speaking of questionable situations. And before we went, though, we talked with Bronwyn, as I wanted to get her opinion. The last podcast, if you're a loyal listener and you remember, I, ta- I talked to the video. Even. One of the four. If, one, if you're one of the four loyal listeners who's been keeping up on things, which, by the way, Master Charles isn't. Remember that? motherfucker. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Robin from Batman? <laughs> yeah. Bat nipples. Bat nipples isn't, hasn't, didn't listen last time, or, or he hasn't commented on the fact that he's now a prominent feature of Scottcast. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I'm going to keep mentioning Master Charles in every episode of Scottcast until he notices... <laughs> We're mentioning him every podcast. Maybe it'll be 100 podcasts in, you know? He could have dabbled in the early shows and then 
if you dabbled in the early shows and you took that as a sign of things to come, uh, then I would judge you if you're actually listening to this now. <laughs> because the early shows are terrible. And this show is good in comparison. That's why I'm so chipper all the time. In comparison. In comparison. So we were talking about the last episode, and we came to uh, the point where you had an opinion about killing baby Voldemort in that you shouldn't kill a baby even if it's going to grow up to be Voldemort. So I was like, Bronwyn, which is your wife, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think... Would you do you have the same opinion? I don't think I, I don't think we told her your opinion of it before that. And she said I would curb stomp Voldemort <laughs> until his head smashed in. She would curb stomp Voldemort mm-hmm. until his head was smashed in. That is not your opinion at all. That's pretty much the opposite of of what I uh, proposed. Yeah, I gotta say I prefer Bronwyn's opinion. <laughs> I think she's more on the nose of what to do, literally. Well, I think I I made it pretty clear that I was um, the extreme amateur when it comes to to the Harry Potter universe. So I don't I don't blame anybody for their opinions on on the, the matter. You know, I'm just saying I wouldn't kill a baby. What if it was Hitler? I think I made that clear as well. I, no no murdering babies. That's my firm stance. How old would it have to be before it's okay to go time travel to the past to prevent some atrocity? No butterfly effect. I don't know if I can answer that. I don't really believe in corporal punishment. Okay. I in theory. I, I don't, don't consider it punishment. I consider it corporal prevention. Well... And it's not. It's not. Uh, and I mean, there's always there's situations where emotions run high, and you're like, you know what? Screw Voldemort. Usually, I'm not for death penalty, but in this case, okay. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know when. When did Hitler become irredeemable? I don't, I don't know. I think it. I can't make that choice. I'm not. I'm not gonna decide uh, when it's okay to murder somebody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll stop pressing whether you'll murder a child or not. Uh, but we I guess like once they started rounding up the Jews, that would have been a good time. To like, okay, this time... is this is a line crossed. Hitler, you got to go. Okay, okay. But you got but you're gonna wait. You've got time travel capability. I don't think you're grasping time travel well enough here. <laughs> you've got the capability travel in time and prevent these. See, I, th- I think. If you've got that capability, you and you know the outcome, you can. There's something else you can do. It doesn't have to be a murder right there. Okay. You can let Hitler into art school, and then he's like not pissed at the world. Okay. And things work out, maybe. I don't know. Or not. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. So maybe you got to play around with it and see what works. That might be more time-consuming. It's probably easier to just, just but murder a baby. Who cares but... about time-consuming when you have a time machine? That's what I'm saying. Okay, I can see that. So your 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 message wouldn't be to do even any one thing. What you would do is you would create a continuum of activity and test it out in the yeah. past and the present. See the reactions. 
what happens if you kill baby Hitler? How does the future look then? Mm -hmm. What happens if you just let him into art school? That's How does that saying. work? Okay, I like this experimental approach. It uses the time machine to its best use. Most people, when they think of time machine scenarios, they just think of two things. They think of killing Hitler. About murdering babies, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we jump right to murdering babies all the time with the, with the time travel? There's yeah. so many possibilities. Yeah. And... You know what? I want to go back and curb stomp a dinosaur. Yeah. Well, like, no, why? no one why would you do that. that? Don't yeah. do that. I am against that. Dinosaurs <laughs> are majestic creatures who deserve to be lauded and appreciated. And if you're going to go back in time to see a dinosaur, first thing I would do is suggest that you bring an oxygen tank because the atmosphere in the Mesozoic times was much different and more nitrogen composed than today. So if you went back in time to the dinosaur age, you would be seeing a whole bunch of these enormous, weird, uh, feathery creatures, uh, and, and you will be laughing your butt off the entire time. It's not very uh, conducive to survival. It's not conducive to survival, but it does sound like a good time. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so... Depending on your, again, depending on what you will do with time travel if you were given the option. So, this is all to talk about the great Satan. And we went to this thing, it was brought, brought on by Everything is Terrible, which is a collective of people who like to collect uh, Jerry Maguire CDs, the VHS. VHS. It's gotta get the format right. Get your correct esoteric uh, format. Right. Yeah, you can't... You can't. There's no Jerry Maguire CDs. Who am I? Maybe there's a soundtrack. Do you think... Would they take soundtracks? If you sound a soundtrack? I don't know. Would they ship it back? <laughs> I feel like they're all about the, the VHS there. Yeah. Yeah, they, they got that one format. Did Jerry Maguire come out on Laserdisc? Possibly. Possibly. But probably just to libraries, and libraries aren't going to condone their behavior. It was a great little night. They had a large run of uh, chopped up VHS related to religion, mostly Christianity. Yep. It was a, a series of two-second clips. It was almost seizure-inducing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was surprisingly plot-driven. Yeah, I did not think it would be like that because it was all. It's, it, it's like a collage of film, and I never knew that you could do it like that. It worked really well. They do all these videos on the internet, and that's kind of where they get their bread and butter, isn't it? Yeah. YouTube ads on... on a, something that you should look up is cat massage? That's a... Yep. That's, classic. That's a classic, cat massage. And it, you, not only will you have an enjoyable time, and you will find something humorous, but you'll learn... How to best massage your feline friends, which is always needed. That's what, what Kyle was crying about earlier. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't get his cat's attention enough, uh, which, which, is, which is not true because I, I work at home, I live at home, I'm home 99% of the time. We're hanging out all the time. I don't pay attention to him for five minutes, and he's busting in on my podcast. But what percentage of that time is he getting massaged? Enough. <laughs> Enough percentage. Enough percent. 
That should be a, that should be a figure they teach in math class. Enough percent. I'm sure there is in some way. So that is really all I have to say about the Great Satan. Yeah, there was it, it was a fantastic show, and it's it's kind of related to Scott Cast and it's B movie related, and we're gonna have a B movie segment coming up. Yeah, which I'm most excited for. But before we start the B movie segment, which has to last like 20 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna get our Facebook Live advice time started. We're gonna try to do some advice time. Uh, and we're just gonna ask for it, and we're gonna talk about hobo with a shotgun while we're asking for it on the internet machine. So I'm gonna go ahead and press the button. So we are live again, and we're talking about hobo with a shotgun, and we're going to be fielding any questions or requests for advice that you may have today. Uh, and so let's just get started. I watched hobo with a shotgun last night, and I gotta say, I was prepared for it to be like a B movie. I was prepared for it to be like, oh, just don't even pay attention to it. And it was probably one of the better movies I've watched in the past year. It was fantastic. They had everything. It had a, it had a riveting plot. It had characters I cared about, and it had an enormous amount of hobo violence. <laughs> Just completely, entirely too much hobo violence to spread around and to enjoy. So, it, it stars Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer, yes. Rutger Hauer. And I didn't realize who this person was until Ian came over today and started telling me about all the different roles that Rutger Hauer has. What does he do? He does Blade... Blade Runner. Blade Runner, not Blade. I always confuse the two. So this is, yeah, this is Harrison Ford, and uh, he's hunting replicants in the future, the dystopian future. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rutger Hauer is like the, the kind of main replicant. Main replicant man. Little clone person who was kind of engineered by humanity to more or less be a slave, and he decided he wasn't done with that shit. And he and, and the rest of the movie is his response to this dystopian setup. Yeah. Okay. You seem that seems to be his that is pigeonholed role. He's yeah. He's one of those actors that's very much like kind of the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. So Hobo with a shotgun's a good example. He's yes. kind of this ultra-violent hobo fella. Taking some hits in life, but he's he's kind of doing the right thing, maybe vigilante style. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's a hype, hyper violent hobo though. Like <laughs> he, <laughs> <No>. be- <laughs> he becomes that way, sure, but he is more along the lines of someone who, because he was riding the rails, and all he's ever wanted to do was start a lawn mowing business, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to start this lawn mowing business, and he ends up in this town. And this particular town is absolutely chopped and tapped and whatever, and filled to the brim with evil and violence and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So he doesn't become violent until he comes into this town, and he's and he's and he's just uh, bombarded with violent stimuli. So obviously, 
It's the town that's violent, not the hobo. The hobo became hobo with a shotgun and reaction to this violence. That's true. That's right. That's right. That's one of my favorite things about B-movies is that if you just watch it, like, surface level, have a bunch of beers, it's like just stupid violence and it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But if you actually watch it, there's always this this level, well, not always, a lot of times with the good ones, there's this level of social commentary that's it's, it's actually like a pretty decent art form, I would say. Yeah, it is an unassuming art form for sure. Yeah. Because like you go to these things and you watch them and you have no, there's absolutely no level of, oh, this thing's got, a, this thing's got an extra level. I am the world's greatest elocutionary man. <laughs> and that's part of the impact is that it's so over the top and ridiculous that uh-huh. like, you would think there couldn't be anything redeeming about it. But part of the ridiculousness is kind of hitting you over the head and saying, hey, this is, this is actually a thing. Right. Like you put right. somebody in a violent situation, that's what happens. Uh, they're going to respond in kind. Yeah. You know? Eye for an eye, the old Hammurabi between people and, and their environs. Exactly. Yeah. Nature versus nurture and all that. Yeah. So Hobo with the Shotgun turned out to be... Hello, Ashley. How are you doing? We're fielding advice while we talk about uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. So you should ask a question about your life or someone else's life or just, you know, a general how-to question. I think she might have left. Oh, oh well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, I I was extremely pleased with my viewing of Hobo with a Shotgun. It was a fantastic movie. Sometimes I wonder, though, you know, if I was in that situation, mm-hmm. if I was confronted with a hyper-violent sort of uh, town that was threatening my entire moral fabric. Would I be able to go into that pawn shop? Oh, she's still here. Oh, you give me the question then. Don't just don't just don't just chat at me. We're doing a podcast over here. Anyway. So well, you're in this situation, hyperviolent society. How, what do you do? What do I do? Well, what he did was he just kind of snapped. He was in a pawn shop and he was just about to buy his lawnmower. His prized possession of a lawnmower that he was going to start this beautiful little business with. And, you know, he was going to stop being hobo. So, people come in, though, while he's trying to purchase this lawnmower. And they rob the store. They, they, they hold the guy up at gunpoint. And he says, no more. He takes up the shotgun, and he blasts everybody in the building. Would I do the same thing? I don't know. I've never been a hobo with a shotgun before. But if the situation should call for it, and I was in a in like a situation where like it's like there was an armed robbery for sure. Mm-hmm. If there was an armed robbery going on and I was in the store, I would be hiding behind like the Hostess cupcakes. <laughs> you know, I would not be trying to be a hero. Yeah, over cash and a till. I don't know why people do that. Flimsy pastry is the best shield. Yeah. 
I, I, my shield doesn't consist of steel. It doesn't consist of Kevlar. My shield consists of cowardice and and pity. So I hide behind the cupcakes and I quiver. And the idea is no one's gonna, no one who's just looking to rob a store, right? It's gonna be like, I'm gonna take out this quivering man right here. <laughs> They're just gonna leave the quivering man alone. So that's my shield, it's my quivering. Mm-hmm. And so if I was in that situation, I would probably just quiver out of town. I would get in the quivering position, low down and squatted, crab walk out of town. Yeah. Find a nicer town. Seattle's okay. It's got a lot of it's got a large homeless population, but they're 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 doing some forward thinking things. Yeah. Do you want to go on a tangent here? No, I don't. Okay. Never mind then. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what kind of tangent? I thought it was. I thought well, you meant like, do you want to talk about Seattle? No. No. Your your quivering reminded me of our conversation about doorbells. Oh, that's right. <laughs> doorbells. Doorbells. Why are they so goddamn loud? Right. You got a you got a doorbell in your house that I never use it. Well, I maybe used it once or twice, but like. You, you press the button and it's just that loud buzzing sound. Like, it's like a fire alarm. Yeah. It's like the, the purpose of a doorbell is to alert you that someone's at the door. It doesn't have to make you shit your pants. Mm-hmm. It could be a pleasant sound as long as it gets your attention, right? So who designs these doorbells that are so obnoxious? And why can't... Maybe that's a, a business venture we could well we could for sure they have doorbells that have like the tune right like they got the, the one with the chime yeah i find that obnoxious too i don't know maybe it's just my uh, musical tastes it doesn't doesn't mesh well but like if what would your perfect doorbell be what would be something that would grab your attention but not make you crap your pants or shiver behind the the hostess cupcakes I want to have a robot servant that knows everything that happens around my house for a 500-foot radius. Okay. And when some, like, creature uh, walks in this radius, Mm -hmm. it analyzes it. Mm -hmm. What is this? Is this a UPS driver? Is this a deer? Is this a... strolling person <laughs> straight cat is this a straight cat and it analyzes it and it thinks what kind of information do I need to know about this mm-hmm. this is a robot right it's pretty advanced these Facebook comments nobody is asking for advice okay <laughs> I think that's enough pleading so what I would do, everyone's saying that dogs, my dad says uh, doorbell should sound like a viper, like a 1998 okay. viper, like a large like a, a car. Yeah, V10 engine Yeah, in a, in a sporty little frame, and it'll rip your face off. Okay. That's excessive in my opinion. <laughs> That's a lot of doorbell. That is more doorbell than needed. I would have, like I said, my little robot friend... <laughs> So your, your your super intelligent robot friend is not excessive. <laughs> <laughs> he's not excessively loud. He's got a volume setting. So so basically, you want uh, the hobo with a shotgun to be your your doorbell. Well, um, his, his role in Blade Runner. You want a oh an okay. android to be your doorbell. Yes, 
<laughs> yes, yes. You know, and not only doorbell, but I want him to do other things like, um, I don't know, cook, um, yeah. clean up, tell me jokes. You don't like the okay Google things, but yeah. without a... Oh, thank God that didn't ruin my slide cast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Except it doesn't tell you to... Uh, adjust your settings every five seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a working kind of that, that walks around and does tasks. I'm sure science is not that far off from that. I can make that. I can make it. So what, what if your doorbell decides that it's it's done serving you and it wants to be a, a real person? I would How hire it and then get another or... one. You know, I would hire it to make another another Android without that. And then I'll be like, you're free to go. <laughs> you can plug in anytime here. You're always a friend, Mr. Robot. Because you gotta treat you gotta treat your robot employees like you would uh, you know, your normal employees. You gotta mm-hmm. make sure they're appreciated. You gotta make sure the robots are well taken care of. You gotta make sure that uh, everyone's in a positive reinforcing our future is together mm-hmm. kind of thing. So if if I really had a robot that gained sentience and it wanted to, you know, become its own person. I would be totally sympathetic to that. But I would ask that the robot be sympathetic to the fact I built a robot that needs to do things. And I can't just let my robots go on a whim. Mm -hmm. I need those tasks taken care of. So once the robot has built a suitable replacement, of course the robot can be its own robot. I'm not against robots. I'm not against robot rights. <laughs> but I am against early termination without just replacement for doorbells. Because how am I going to know when the door needs answering if I don't have a robot? So, in terms of the tone of the, the doorbell, how does, how does the robot let you know what's going on. Depends on who's coming to the door. Okay. My robot would be like, Scott, I understand according to my mm-hmm. according to my intelligence in my brain, because mm-hmm. I'm a robot, that you have a delivery coming today. Uh, would you like me to bring it inside? Yes, doorbell. I would like you to bring that inside. So you sync it up with your Amazon account? And- yeah. API action going on there, and so it would it would hang around nervously at the door, peering through the curtain <laughs> for like during that twelve hour window Amazon gives the Prime members, mm-hmm. and it'll be excited and it'll be giddy. And once once it sees the mailman, it's gonna jump up and down. It's only like a five hundred pound robot, and it's gonna jump up and down and and be excited for me. And then I don't have to be excited at the window. It can be excited at the window, and when it finally, the package finally comes, it'll open the door, and uh, so you get to project all your emotions onto it too. Yeah, it, it not only will it answer my door, cook my food, but it'll also experience my emotions. So I think that that puts you in danger of having a sentient robot. Why? <laughs> what's what's the danger of a sentient robot? Let him be a sentient it, robot. Why is it going to want to keep serving you? Anyway. No, no, no. Is we got another question. Or we're no, no, we got more. On. Like, he's saying, he's, he's saying that my sentient robot is going to turn into some sort of Terminator situation, mm. some sort of Skynet thing. But I don't think so. 
because I'm going to be nice to my robot. Me and my robot are going to be cool. I'm going to let it experience all the cool parts of my life too. You know, like most people, they want to get a robot and, and they want to like just, you know, crack the whip at the robot. They just want to crack the whip and make it do work. But that's not me. No, I want to create something to just live my entire life, good and bad, while I just do what I want. So it'll interact with my friends. It will do this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It'll do my work. It'll, you know, experience the ups and downs of life for me. It'll love for me. It will uh, eventually possibly even have children and raise them to be its own in its, in its own image, which is my image. Because it's, it's me. And I will just hang out in my office, like, fiddling with solitaire. Okay. So how much does this doorbell cost? About $500. <laughs> that seems like a deal to me, man. Right? It does everything you want, ever. And you don't have to live your life. Not once again. For the rest of your life. Just You can just be a passenger. And travel time and curb stomp babies and... Yeah, yeah. I think that is a wonderful aspect. Oh, I think our live listeners maybe didn't catch that from earlier. No, I'm sure they didn't. And you know, like, wait, whoa. Oh, my God. How did we take this turn? Hi, Evie. Here's the deal. Here's what I want to tell everyone in the live cast about, and here's why I don't care about the mic right now. I forgot to press record on the actual thing. Oh, no. But it's, it's not too bad because that's a recording. And we it's going to sound awful. You can cut it in. Well, what Scott cast doesn't sound awful? This is true. And we're resuming <laughs> the good audio portion of Scott cast. <laughs> oh. We just screwed up the best part of, of the cast this week. Well, now the best part of the cast is going to be obvious when people are listening. If you don't understand what's being said, you've got it. Can you take a robot diving? Why not? Let's make it watertight. Because what if I wanted to do another watertight task, like go out in the rain and get some mail? Or uh, go to the bottom of the ocean and retrieve the heart of the ocean from the Titanic? What if I wanted to do one of those two things? So yeah, of course it's going to have to have that. What's the primary function of this robot? To live my life. It's, it's a doorbell. It's apparently a sex robot, if it can have your children. I didn't say somehow. that. I didn't say that. A procreation robot, maybe. Procreation robot, <laughs> whatever whatever you want to call it. You know. Uh, it's maybe sentient. Somewhat can sentient. experience emotions. Looks exactly like me without the beard. So if you see me without a beard, <laughs> it might not be me. It might be um, a robot. $500 on the market. They all look like me. That's the thing, though. Yeah. To get a custom robot would be too much, too expensive. Okay. So, so, what will I do? I would like any listeners right now to ask a question, asking for our advice on a situation that you're going through. And we will field this question. Uh, Ian here... Uh, happens to be a a renowned psychotherapist in the world (laughs) he has many published papers and uh if basically if you've seen any television show lately with uh any like psychological like jargon thrown in it's stuff that people stole from him 
So we got him and we got me and I've lived an illustrious life. Um, I've seen the bulls run in Spain. I've been to the moon. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've lived a life. So we've got someone who understands the mind and we've got someone who understands the soul. So if you need help on this here day, what is the meaning of life, Ian? The Between us, life. we should know. We should be able to figure this one out. Well, I think that depends on the person. Mm-hmm. I think the meaning of life is to create a robot that will replace everything you do. <laughs> I think the meaning of life is to be single-minded. How, how do you handle a sassy two-year-old? Sassy two-year-old. This is coming from my sister, Kimmy. What kind of sass are we talking about? What kind of sass are we talking about, Kimmy? Are we talking about uh, they won't go to bed? Are we talking about they're throwing their food on the wall? Are we talking about they're building robots to replace them? <laughs> what are they doing? Because they're too young for robot building. They don't understand. I think you encourage robot building. I encourage robot building when you're of age. I think if your two-year-old two is advanced enough to build a robot, you should... Uh... I think if your two-year-old's advanced to build a robot, you need to hold your horses and be like, where did this two-year-old come from? Why is it building robots? And does it understand uh, basic morality? Because the two-year-old has not had any situations um, to experience moral dilemmas and to True. carve well, their own moral identity. So, like, At that point, everything is about uh, rewards and consequences. There's no right or wrong, necessarily. Okay. Two-year-old's going to do what, what feels good. Okay. So a two-year-old's going to do what feels good. So you're mm -hmm. suggesting that my sister condition my niece, Pav, like, a, like a dog, like Pavlov's dog. Exactly. Like you're going to need yes. a bell. Yep. For Belle. Her name's Annabelle. Okay. You're going to need a bell for Belle. And you're going to want to ring it. <laughs> I don't know how it works, actually. I just know <laughs> there's a bell. And you ring it. Well, if uh, she's doing something you like, do something nice for her. Tell her she's a good girl or give her a little snack or give her a hug or whatever she likes. And, and, and what if she's being sassy? If she's being sassy, mm -hmm. um, probably... I guess you don't like sass. Again, it depends what, what kind of sass she's giving you. If it's throwing a tantrum or being upset about something, just ignore it. Most of the time, two-year-olds really love attention. If you don't give them attention, then they'll stop doing that and they'll try something else to get attention. So what I'm hearing is solitary confinement. <laughs> I don't think that's a great idea. Uh, coming from me. Oh, your wife's on now. Ooh. You were part of this podcast earlier, Bronwyn. I don't know if it's going to be edited out. So, so we were talking about children and robots. We're talking about how in robots, uh, how I'm going to build a robot that is exactly me, and it will do. It will live my life for me, um, and it won't have a beard. And we're going to do this because Ian's doorbell is too aggressive. So we wanted to create an alternative. My alternative was to create a sentient human assistant, robot assistant. Sorry. Uh, Freudian slip. And you're assuming that your your sentient robot will not become aggressive. 
Why would it need to become aggressive? Like, when is, first off, in my, okay, here's why. Again, Rucker Hauer. That's what we're, that's how we got into this. Okay, well, yeah, we, we're talking about Rucker Hauer. And then we're talking <laughs> about robots. But here's why a robot that I create when it become violent. Because in my life, I have probably encountered violence twice, 28 years. So it's going to be created in my image, and it's going to be created by me. It's going to live with me, and I'm going to be its thing. I don't think my robot assistant, person, friend, surrogate, would even know what violence is, because it would have to learn from me. And I guess the only thing I can really teach it about violence is to show it a hobo with a shotgun starring uh, <laughs> Rutger Hauer. Uh, and that concludes our segment. Not the bees. And I think it might conclude our podcast about. Unless Bronwyn, Bronwyn has any questions for us uh, regarding life advice. Or robots or Rutger Hauer. Or Satan. Or the great Satan. We're just going to wait with bated breath. <laughs> oh, good night, Dad. By the way, The Great Saint was a show we went to. We're not just lauding him. <laughs> Brown one has nothing for us. Whoa, whoa, language. Language, Brown one. Whoa. This is what we get with Scott Krause. Scott Cast. This is a good opportunity to talk about our our, uh, our our idea for YouTube channel we talked about earlier this week. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Wait a minute. Well, how is Jeff Goldblum linked to this? The night that we went to see The Great Satan, yes. we talked about uh, reenactments that we might film Ooh, of certain that's things. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, this is the best answer you're going to get to that question, Brown. So, we're, we have an idea that we're bouncing around. And what we might do, and as a Scott Cast Ian Dixon production, we'll have to come up with a name that's not so egotistical to me. <laughs> um, we're going to make a short... We're going we're to take stories from the internet, fan fiction stories... And we're going to turn them into beautiful film narratives. And the first one that I that first contender for for screenwriting is a, a little ditty about a waitress who was approached by uh, what's his name? Ian Malcolm. He's not. She's not approached by Ian Malcolm yet. Uh, she's approached by John Hammond. There you go. And John Hammond's like, hey, waitress, I'm going to recruit you the same exact way I recruited literally everybody else, by flying in a helicopter and positing it a, an enormous scenario and a yes or no question whether you're going to work for me. And of course, yada, 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 waitress is working on Jurassic Park and, you know, chaos ensues because it's Jurassic Park and she has to find a way through the chaos. And in the summary... <laughs> The way that she finds her way through the chaos is by finding her way to Ian Malcolm's loving arms. (laughs) 
And that is the story that we are considering producing and creating a full-length feature film. Did we say full-length? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just adding responsibility. Okay. Live on camera. So yeah, in some way, one of us will probably simulate sex with Jeff Goldblum. Not one of us. How are we filming this thing? Well, like, how many? We're hiring people. We're not gonna. We're not gonna hire people. We can. We can make it animated. I guess we could. You know, we could. uh, mm, I mean, I don't have enough wigs. I don't have. I don't. I don't think I have. I definitely don't have a Sattler wig. I definitely don't have a Tim wig. (laughs) We're not. Well, we were gonna be done, but then you know, uh, we decided to talk about. Jeff Goldblum, kind of, in a way. It's a very loose broadcasting standard, Scott Cass. <laughs> Super loose broadcasting standards. So with that said, our audience is getting tired of our Scott casting. So. I'm getting tired of my Scott casting. And I got a job ahead of me editing this one. <laughs> I have to grab the video from you, Facebook. There's my, there it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and oh okay so our entire audience went from actually how oh, this podcast is going to end on a good note because our audience stopped watching Scott cast and they went right to Jurassic Park which is pretty much the only thing that this podcast is really aiming for more listens for Jurassic Park or watches views hmm Alrighty. What was our formula before? We don't have a formula. We were something something and esoteric. Oh, okay. This is our formula. This is our motto. It's not a formula. It's a motto. Whatever. This guides our content. Real, raw, and esoteric. I don't know if Jurassic Park fits that bill, but I'm glad we got some viewers for them. Well, it doesn't fit that bill. But it does fit. The fan fiction fits the bill because it's esoteric. And it's real. And it's raw. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> everybody enjoy your week. And everybody enjoy Scott Cast ending.